and welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks. Everybody, with me, your host, Jackson Stone. This is episode number 87 of Jackson Talks, Everybody, which is pretty cool. And we're filming in a new location today. We are at Krav Maga, Dallas. If you are watching this uh, via YouTube, you can see the sign. If you just listen to it uh, on Spotify or Apple, then yes, we're at Krav Maga, Dallas. And we'll get into that, why we're here, what we're doing. But I want to welcome to the show my guest, Eric Keener. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Good to be on. So, have you ever, first of all, have you ever done a podcast before? I have never done a podcast before. Okay. So I want to basically explain why I decided to have you on the podcast. I think it's important. I have been uh, coming to Krav Maga since September 22nd, 2021 was my very first class. So not very long. I'm still very much a beginner in this whole journey. But you uh, basically have been my instructor the whole time, mixed in with Eric Hicks, Eric Hicks and Quentin, but you mostly. And uh, I just found that you had a very um, precise way with your words, and you're very well-spoken, even for a young man. And uh, you just had a way about explaining different techniques um, and different things that we do in Krav. And then I figured your background would be very interesting uh, to share on this pod about Krav, about where you come from. You're also in school. A lot of things I don't know about you, which I wish to find out. But that's That was my interest in having you on the podcast, which is also really hard to drop episodes every single Tuesday. So I just try to use people that I come in contact yep. with my life and that I think are interesting and insightful. And I'm sure people who listen to this pod aren't really aware of Krav Maga and what it is and how it could be useful to just the everyday person, which I think is what it's, it's meant for. <clears throat> And so, before we really dive into all the meat and bones, I have one question to ask you. A very mm -hmm. important question. It's really the basis of this podcast and kind of the basis of my life. Uh, and I think it's really important, especially for two males, to have this conversation, to open up uh, honesty and vulnerability, uh, whatever that may be. And so, I hope you do answer this question honestly, if you choose to. How are you doing? Like, for real, for real? That's a good question. That's especially... Um a good question as you said to ask is two males because that's often not something we ask mm -hmm. it's much more a sup bro mm -hmm. and like that's kind of it um i would say i'm doing okay overall um a little bit overwhelmed with school but this often happens especially at the start of the semester we're four weeks in usually around week four or five i get my feet underneath me and i get into what i call the swing of school mm -hmm. so um, working through that, working through a breakup that happened two months ago. I'm mostly over that, but every once in a while, some of those feelings will resurface. And then beyond that, just working on relationships with my family and with my friends. But overall, I would say doing okay. That's a substantial, that's a good answer. I, I always, uh, when people ask me that now, I, I try to answer as honestly as I can, whatever even if the time we have together is like short and they're just yeah. like passing by. But I always find myself having like uh, feeling two emotions at the same time. Uh, like I, I generally feel like really good all the time, but at the same time, I'm also like overwhelmed or feeling a bit of productive stress. Uh, and so I feel those like uh, merging of two emotions. So I, you know, I try not to answer in good and bad unless I am feeling good, which is nice. Uh, but it's interesting. Yeah. I like to see those intermingling of emotions. But anyways, you mentioned that you were in school. And you also obviously work here at Krav Maga Dallas as an instructor. How many days a week are you instructing here? Every day? Five days a week. So I'm, I'm not here Saturday and Sunday, but I teach and train Monday through Friday. Who's training you? So I train from all of the instructors that I can, mainly Eric Hicks and Matt Roberts, who are two most experienced instructors. But when I can, we also have a jiu-jitsu instructor, Drew Allen, and then an instructor who's trained a lot of kickboxing, mm -hmm. Johnny Gonzalez. So I just try to take classes from as many instructors as I can. Okay. When did your Krav Maga journey start? So when I was nine, my mom told me and my older brother, we're signing you up for this thing. It's called Krav Maga. Mm -hmm. You're sticking with it for six months. And if you love it, you can continue training. And if you hate it, then you can quit and we'll find something else. 
and that was when I was nine, and I am now 20. So wow. it's been a full, full 11 years of training at this point. Hmm. And was there a reason that your mom decided it would be a good idea for you and your brother? You know, not that I'm aware of, besides we had just moved from Indiana to here in Plano, Texas, and she realized that we weren't enrolled in any activities. So we were homeschooled. All of us were homeschooled all the way through high school. So okay. we didn't have the public school intramurals, for lack of a better term. Um, and it was really important to her that we had some sort of outside social connection. So she was looking at sports leagues, but found that the sports leagues here tend to be a lot more competitive. Mm -hmm. And she wanted us to play for fun, not for the competition. And then she found Krav Maga, which is a self-defense system, again, not for competition. And you just fell in love. Pretty much, yeah. The, the first year and a half was really, really rough. I'll, as an instructor now, I'm sure my instructors then were concerned I wasn't going to make it six months. Mm. Um, I was klutzy, couldn't do a push-up, didn't know what it was, didn't really know my left foot from my right hand. Um, and as I'm looking back now, I see some symptoms of ADHD as well. So I was a difficult student for sure. But in between my instructor's perseverance, my parents' perseverance in encouraging me, and my own perseverance, in a year and a half, I took my first belt test. And that's probably when I realized this was something I was going to do long term. Sweet. Did initially when you started doing Krav Maga and figuring out your balance, your coordination, things of that nature, did it lead you to any other hobbies or interests like with using your body? Yeah, absolutely. So I was 13 at the time. I started looking into calisthenics, and there are multiple calisthenic experts that I follow. Simonster Strength is the first one that comes to mind, um, as well as Daniel Vadnell at Fitness FAQs. And these are people who do crazy things like handstand push-ups, pistol squats. Pistol squats and are then, so hard. Yes, yes, they are. I can do them on one leg, but my left ankle is still complaining, so I'm still working on them on that side. I have not mastered the pistol squat whatsoever. Yeah, it takes <laughs> it takes time, patience, and a ton of knee and ankle stability. Yeah, and I have the first two and not the third. So, yeah, I found that began working out on my own. Managed to develop some strength imbalances and that's when I realized that our Krav Fit classes needed more and even our KM1 classes just needed more of a strength component that was beyond just some push-ups mm. because I found that as I worked my anterior chain my shoulders started coming you have to forward. explain what that is. So anterior chain, um, anterior is just the front so all the muscles on the front your pecs, your shoulders, your chest and shoulder muscles People tend to work those, especially in body weight yeah. programs, more than they work their back muscles, especially if they don't believe they have access to like a pull-up bar, something mm -hmm. to work out the back muscle. And that's especially what I did, which caused a lot of posture problems, some of which I'm still working on fixing today. Yeah, and then the posterior chain is your backside, like your glutes, your butt. Well, glutes and butt are the same yeah. thing. Uh, and your back, so it's, it's actually, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's much more important to work your posterior chain, but I think there should be at least like a, a two to one, three to one. Yeah, I in would terms agree. Of if you're in the gym and you're a guy specifically and you're doing a lot of bench press, you should be doing three times as many back exercises so that you have good posture and your shoulders are back and you're not rounded in like Eric was saying. Anyways, it's a little off topic, but not really. A little bit. So, okay. So then when did you become an instructor here? So um, before I ask you that, I know there's a belt system for uh, just individuals being practitioners yes. of Krav Maga. Is there a different uh, belt system if you're trying to be an instructor or just like you pick people out from like the class that maybe have gained more knowledge like and then they want to be an instructor? Like how does all that work? Okay, so the process of becoming an instructor, most students don't train and then just straight up say, I want to teach this. Um, I can think of 
two of our, three of our instructors who were like that, where they trained and then immediately realized that they wanted to train and teach this. And I'm one of them. Other instructors tend to, before, like as students gain a high level of training and experience, and then we as instructors, as we watch our classes, notice students who tend to help in the class, whether it's holding the pad for the instructor, whether they give corrections to their partners, so mm -hmm. that way the instructor can get to more people. We quickly pick out who are the beneficial people to have in class for the class as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then we use those people, we talk to them, ask if there's an interest. And if there's an interest, our school here has an apprentice program. Um, mine was 33 weeks long and it went over how to teach the techniques, cleaning up the techniques, and then at the end you go to an instructor certification in Los Angeles, California. Um, do you have to be at a certain level in terms of your belt before you can take that apprenticeship? So, yes and no. For the worldwide system, which is the system we're certified under, they don't have such a requirement. You could theoretically have never trained Krav Maga before, go to the instructor certification and theoretically learn the techniques, learn how to teach the techniques and pass. I say theoretically because while theoretically it's allowed, I was talking to some of the instructors out there and they say they don't remember a case where a student did that. Typically for our school, we require that you need to be level two so you need to have your orange belt before you start the apprentice program mm -hmm. and then have your green belt be level three before you go out for the certification. And the reason we require that as a school is we don't want to send instructors out to a seven day certification without knowing, without a shred of a doubt that they can pass. Right. And by the time they've hit level three, they've taken two belt tests probably trained 200, 300 or more hours, and we're very confident that they'll make it the seven days. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the belt system, which is like right over here, and it goes yellow, orange, green, blue, brown, and black. So that's, that's very similar to like other martial arts. It is, yes. But it's different in terms, because this is like it's, it's hard to replicate what you're learning here unless you get into a real fight in a dangerous situation. Cause that's right, that's the basis of Krav Maga. It right? is, yes. And so I find that uh, as a very beginner, like a novice at this activity that I'm like thinking to myself when I leave class and I'm done training, like, if someone actually tries to hurt me or someone I love, will I be able to do anything about it without having to actually put myself in that situation to test myself on that skill? So I find that a bit challenging. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way or what you have to say about that, but. Yeah, it is, it is challenging, without a doubt. Um, to this point, you know, I've trained for 11 years and I have yet to be in an actual street fight. Um, I can think of two altercations off the top of my head where I was able to talk the situation down and calm the person down and ended up not getting into a fight. But yeah, for sure, the same thing. Like what we train is awesome and I know it works from other stories and I know it w works from my personal experience and what I've seen, mm -hmm. but it is a challenge to think about what if I was attacked, would I rise to the occasion or fall to the level of training and if i do fall to the level of training as most people do is my training level high enough right that i would be successful and unfortunately there's no true way to test that without as you said getting into an altercation getting after it and that's not the point at least in my experience of any martial arts correct right the point is to to feel more peaceful in your own body, to be able to do the things you want to do without feeling scared that someone might hurt you or attack you, to have more like, you know, tranquility and calmness and confidence, I think is a huge thing. Uh, at least what I found, like trying to discover martial arts and I actually started BJJ yesterday. Oh, awesome. This one over here. Yeah. Yeah, Quentin was in the same class as me. So I did my first day yesterday. So I guess I'll be simultaneously doing Krav and BJJ at the same time, which would be cool. Uh, 
and so yeah, like it's all about respect and respecting the art of the um, the martial arts and what it can do for you and how you can live a better life. I guess is at least what I've picked up from it. It is, yeah. And so for someone who's been doing it for so long, how do you stay motivated on something that you might you're not like using per se? Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that's a really good question because you you're absolutely right. When I think of some of my school studies, like I think of, for example, elementary statistics, which is a college class I took. Mm -hmm. Because of how the brain works, I have probably forgotten everything that I learned in that class and I would have to restudy it to remember it. And it's because I, I haven't used it. There's no use for that currently right. in, in my life. And this would appear somewhat similar where I'm not getting into street fights every other day and therefore it may appear I'm not using it every day. But I actually would say that I am. Like the knowledge that I can defend myself, the knowledge that when I walk into a room, I still feel safe even if there's someone who looks to be twice my size or another martial artist or um, I was with one of my siblings one time and we saw a car and it was just a homeless man. And he didn't mean us any harm, but he did approach me because he thought I was taking video of him. Um, and while, again, I didn't have to fight, the knowledge of knowing that I could, if necessary, the knowledge of knowing that I could protect my sister, if necessary, who I was with, told me, like just helped, it was an application, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just in my mind, it's an application, even if I don't have to use my body for an actual street fight. Yeah, because you, you, seems to me like now that you've embodied these techniques that you've learned, so that you are technically using it every day because you don't have to use it. I am, yes, and that, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I take a lot of pauses. I like to think about what yeah, I'm about to say. Thinking is good. It's it's as funny though, like because if people watch it via YouTube, they can obviously see me thinking and pausing. But if they're just like listening to it on Spotify or Apple, they're probably like, "What's happening?" Yeah. Uh, but I see like people who are really good at doing podcasts or really good at giving speeches. They always instead of saying um, which I have a problem with, like filling space, I can just. And think about it instead of being like, uh, uh, uh. my dad actually pointed that out to me because <laughs> like, I gave a talk at our synagogue and he came and he, he said it was, man, Aaron, you did such a great job. That was nice. But you just say, um, way too often. And I was like, thank you, dad. That's actually like really yeah. good feedback. I appreciate that. So I'd like to touch on the history of Krav Maga, like okay. not a lot of it because it's like probably a lot of information that you don't know and I don't need to know and they don't need to know. But I think it's important to know where it came from, where it started, and how it got here, as to why we're, it's important for just an everyday person to maybe learn some of these techniques. Yeah, absolutely. So in Nazi-occupied Europe, in the Jewish slums, there was a man named Emi Lichtenfeld, and he'd spent his life boxing, gymnastics. His father was a very athletic man, um, police officer, same thing, boxing and gymnastics. And they're in the... Um, Jewish slums of these countries at this time as Hitler is taking over Europe. And it's a bad time to be a Jew. Mm -hmm. um, it, it simply is. There's no other way around that. And what ended up happening is the Nazis who had basically the freedom to do whatever they wanted with right. the Jewish populations that were under their territorial commands um, would often go and raid the Jewish neighborhoods. So Emi Lichtenfeld gathered a ton of his friends, other boxers, um, other street fighters, other gymnasts, and made a barebone basic martial art with his team and then defended the streets of these Jewish neighborhoods. That's super cool. It is, yeah. I didn't know that that was uh, how it originated. I yeah. knew the name of that gentleman, but I didn't know that that's what he was doing. That is, that is how he started, 
And then with the founding of the nation of Israel, he eventually moved there and started training the IDF. Mm. So the Israeli Defense Force trains a version of Krav Maga. Emi Lichtenfeld, as most high-level black belts, had many students, but he had a few students who he trained almost exclusively. And some of those students went to the IDF and continued to train the military, and that's how part of how Krav Maga continued to develop. Another one of those students named Darren Levine received training from Emi Lichtenfeld and then actually came here to the United States, and he's the one responsible for bringing what is now Krav Maga worldwide mm -hmm. here to the United States and spreading it across North America. Wow. That's a cool story. And then it got to here, Plano, Texas. It did, yes. Do you know when Eric started Krav Maga Dallas? I want to say it was like 13 years ago. So, 2005 is when he started this business. And then it was around 12, 13 years ago that he moved to this location. Oh, okay. He was at a location across the street. So he's been here for around... 13 years, but if I remember correctly, in business since 2005. Sweet. And if you were to try and convince someone as to why they should do Krav, what would you say to that person? That is a good question and a difficult question mm -hmm. to answer without actually speaking to the person. For because sure. usually when I'm speaking to them, I build a connection and that's where we start. Yeah, you can figure out some some inner why, you know, yeah. some reason why they need this or what would make them feel more comfortable, something like that. Yeah, so I can think of a couple of examples. Um, I was at the college campus and I just had a Krav Maga shirt and someone's like, oh, you do Krav Maga. You're like a ninja. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a ninja. <laughs> but sometimes when I talk about Krav Maga, I get that reaction where they're like, oh, you're one of those like elite martial artists, fighters. And then those people don't really need to be convinced. They're more, where's your school? When can I come? There's a little bit less convincing. Because they, they already have like a bit of uh, excitement about it. They do. Excitement, a little bit of knowledge, and they, they know what it is. I was talking with another person yesterday, actually, who was saying they were talking to another student who had just been assaulted. Mm -hmm. And... This person was asking me, do I think it's a good idea that someone who just got assaulted train Krav Maga or a martial art? And I said, absolutely yes, depending on the individual. So in this case, this person was angry. They, they felt like their safety, um, their dignity, and their, just their self was taken away from them. And they wanted to regain that power, that control over their own safety right again another person who needs some convincing but but not a lot both of these people don't need as much convincing because something's already happened either they already know what Krav Maga is right or alternatively they've been in an altercation and realize they need self-defense I'll talk about probably the hardest the most difficult person to convince um, uh, not just about Krav Maga but about any martial art and it's someone who hasn't had an altercation or hasn't dealt with that fear before. Um, most students of martial arts seek martial arts after an altercation has already happened, after something happens that forces them right. to take control of their safety. Our goal is to help people take control of their safety before that happens, preferably so that way an event like that doesn't happen in the first place. Right. Um, I would most likely build a connection, figure out if they feel responsible for protecting themselves or protecting another person. So I had another student, this will be a brief example, who just refused to punch the pad hard and just wouldn't. And I'm like, okay, I know you're my age, so you don't have kids, do you have younger siblings? And she was like, well, I have a niece. As soon as she said that, I said, okay, I want you to imagine I'm taking your niece away. Mm. You have to stop me. And I have never seen someone transition from just such a light little baby punch to a punch that I was concerned if she missed the pad, it was going to hit me in the face and knock me out. 
so quickly. Wow. And that's how I think I would build a need in their mind for Krav God. Do you have kids? Do you have a significant other? Do you have siblings? Your parents even. If I'm talking to a young man or a young woman who might have parents who they aren't incapable of defending themselves, what if you are the one responsible for defending a member of your family or one of your friends from someone else? Mm. And I find that that extrinsic motivation of it's not your life at stake, it's someone else's, typically is what gets people to join a martial art, but especially Krav Maga. Do you think that, generally speaking, that people are a bit naive about some of the atrocities that could potentially happen to them but don't? Like, people see things on TV and the news, right? There's all bad stuff happens on the news all the time. That's the only thing they talk about, right? This person died, there was a bombing here, whatever, right? Whatever it is. And I think the people watching think to themselves, oh, that can never happen to me. And they're a bit naive about some things that could potentially go wrong in their life that could be just as dangerous. Do you think that to be the case? And I think also that, yeah, that's my, that's my question, then maybe we'll go from there. Without a doubt. Um, it's perfect. In psychology, last week we were talking about defense mechanisms. One of them is denial. Mm -hmm. And this defense mechanism is denying something is real or realistic. So, for example, the easiest one is texting and driving. We know just off the top of our head that texting and driving is extremely dangerous and causes motor accidents all of the time. Mm -hmm. Yet people still do it. And they're in denial of the danger because if they realized how likely they were to be in a car accident just by the fact that they're looking down at their phone as they're trying to drive, they wouldn't do it. If they were thinking of the true repercussions, there's no way that someone would, thinking of the true repercussions of texting and driving for them and everyone around them, would look at their phone. And it's somewhat of the same thing with people's safety. It's really easy to see a story and see, say, yes, that happened. No, that won't happen to me. The problem with that logic is those stories are real. Yes. Which means it happened to someone. Someone who most likely also said, that's just a story, it won't happen to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, at least over the last few years, I've, I've really come to terms with, like, how much evil there is. And that's not a, a pessimistic nature of life. Like, I think coming to terms with how evil people can be or how the world can be has allowed me to see the good so much more present in my life. So in turn, it's made me more optimistic. And I think it's important to be very realistic about the bad things that happen. But if bad things, really bad things can happen, that means really, really good things can happen. And I think you can't have any light without the dark. And so it's important to be aware of those situations, but also be able to somewhat of have a, a sense of confidence in, in going about your day-to-day -day life. And that could be Krav, that could be anything, right? That gives you more of an autonomy and your freedom to just live. And if something bad does happen, you're not like totally shocked by it, but you're able to do something about it, maybe preactively or proactively or reactively, depending on the situation and what choice you had, which sometimes you don't have a choice and it's not your fault. All those things go into play. But that's what I think about at least. And that's what kind of led me to, to Krav Maga at this point in my life. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, um, do you do private lessons here, or is it just class? Yeah, most of the instructors run private lessons, and those are done by a need basis. So most students won't do private lessons. For most students, the classes are enough. For some students, whether it's a specific technique or set of techniques they want to work on more, a belt test they want to prepare for, or sometimes I see private lessons for example, I had a family that was contacting the school. They wanted private lessons for the family of four mm. because 
again, wanting to take control of their safety, mm -hmm. the house next door to them had exploded. So they were contacting us because the parents wanted to instill in the children that the children could defend themselves and therefore control their safety, but also restore the confidence of the parents or confidence of the children in the parents rather that the parents could take care of their children. Mm -hmm. So sometimes private lessons are much more specific like that, where instead of a technique or a set of techniques that a student wants to work on, it's actually an emotion or a previous trauma that they need to work through that maybe a group class, while beneficial, isn't the best course of action. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna ask about that, but then you answered the question in the first question. So. Perfect. Great. So let's move, let's move past Krav for a little bit and talk about, because there's uh, many other areas of your life that you have interest in that you do stuff in. But you are in school. That probably takes up outside of working here a majority of your time, I would imagine. Uh, where are you going to school and what are you studying? So I am currently at Collin County Community College. Mm -hmm. I've been there since 2018 as a dual credit student and am currently planning on majoring in counseling psychology. I um, <clears throat> I guess you don't really know that much about me, so I'll tell you a bit as to why I'm very interested in that degree. Uh, I uh, own and operate a mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved, and so I've been interested in that field now for like the last three years. And so I'm not a licensed therapist, don't have a degree in psychology. I got a degree in health education and nutrition. But over the last three years, I've basically learned as much as I could about the idea of psychology, some philosophy, personal development, a little bit of physiology. And so I think it's like all those subjects, but specifically the study of the mind and the brain and how all that works and how we go about it in our day-to-day -day life and how that affects our mental health and all of those things. Uh, it's like basically been an amazing journey the last three years to, to do that, which led me to running this nonprofit. But what led you to wanting to study that and how does majoring in psychology affect you as a Krav Maga instructor? Because I think those two things play hand in hand really well. So this was my first semester as a full-time college student. I was no longer um, just split between high school and college. I was a full-time college student. I took just a psych 101 class, general psychology. So a little bit of everything but nothing in great detail mm. and had one of the best professors that I think I will have for the rest of my college days. Um, he made an incredible impact and I continued to take two more of his psychology classes after that. And it was really that class that started fueling an interest that was already there. I've always loved people and been curious about how they, how they work, mm -hmm. how they think, and understanding certain things like personalities and personality tests where I realize that people think differently than I do. Yeah. Like not just believe differently than I do because that I was aware of, but the same event can happen to someone and how they process it through thinking and feeling is completely different. And especially when I was younger, I was just completely unaware of that. Yeah. So studying that and then this psychology class is one of the few classes in my first semester as a full-time student where I think I retained most of the information. The professor was engaging. Um, we discussed the broad topic of psychology just in general, both what we know about humans, what we know about animals, some of the research, some of the neuroscience behind it. And as I was taking this class, psychology wasn't something that had previously interested me as a potential career, but I was seriously considering it. And it was after class, I was talking to a student and I had made plans that I was going to talk to my professor either after class or visit him during office hours and just ask him about a career, just what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And he actually came up to me after class and asked me if I was majoring in psychology. Hmm. I told him no, because I wasn't yet. And he said I should. He thought I would make a good research psychologist hmm. while I don't necessarily disagree with it as I've studied more psychology 
Um, I'm taking my fourth and fifth classes in psychology right now. As I've studied more, I've realized that counseling psychology is more where my passion is than research, running experiments, or more than neuroscience and studying specifically everything that goes inside the brain. Yeah. Uh, personality was one of the most interesting topics that I uncovered when I started like diving into some of this information. And so I took a, I'm, are you familiar with Dr. Jordan Peterson? Vaguely. He, he's like, anyways, he's someone people love or they hate, but I just think yeah. that he, he posts some relevant information. He's a clinical psychologist. He's a best-selling author and he has some uh, tests that he put online that he constructed doing research. And it's one of it's like the big five personality traits or tests. And so it's like openness to experience, introversion, extroversion, um, neuroticism, and there's one more. But anyways, when you take this like personality test, it gives you your top, like what are your top ones? And then there's like a lecture series that goes with it. And it's interesting to find out like what, like people are the sum of like all five usually, but they have some proclivities to one temperament or the other. And it's also interesting what those proclivities can lead you to in terms of like your job, your career, what political side of the spectrum you're on, um, and how all that is uh, kind of based on what your temperament or your personality is. And it's super interesting how diverse that spectrum of personalities can be. And I found that interesting. And then like being able to connect with people and finding out what their personality type might be and what they have an interest in here, why they made this decision is uh, based on that. And I think that was cool and it, and it opened me up to like a bit more of connection with people because you don't really know what people are, what they, where they came from or what their decision-making process is or what affected them. Like you said, could have not affected me but could have affected you, totally different. And I think that's wildly interesting and also important when we're thinking about being kind to other people. Absolutely. But. So you, you've made the decision to, to definitely keep going with psychology. Yes, that's, that's my current plan. I've spoke with, spoken with enough college graduates who've either been in their profession for a few years or a few decades. And the more I talk to me, people, the more I realize that I can major in psychology and then realize at some point it's not for me, and if that's the case, that's okay. I have other options that I, I can switch to. And I think that that freedom has helped a lot, that feeling of freedom that, hey, I can study this because this is what I want to study, but if I find out that my talents and my passions might be better suited elsewhere, then I can, I can switch. But currently, yes. Sweet, that's awesome. Well, whenever you graduate and you want a job at a nonprofit, <laughs> you can come work for UR Loved. Okay. And you can work with a bunch of professional wrestlers who need help. Sounds good? Yeah. <laughs> we'll let you know after I graduate and have to write a thesis. Yeah, all that stuff is like super hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's because I thought about going back to school and getting my, uh, getting my master's degree in, uh, in psychology, but then I... I haven't really made a decision yay or nay against it. I see the, the benefit of doing it and the benefit of not doing it. So we'll see, but I don't know. I'm just very interested in the subject. So I'm, I'm using all of the free resources, courses, books, podcasts, lecture series that I can find on the internet that are for free because there's so many of them. There These is. like amazing professors have just like recorded their whole course and put it on YouTube for free. It's like I'm sitting in the classroom with them. It's like amazing yeah like it's it's wild what technology can do it's also very scary at the same time but anyways that's a whole another podcast <laughs> it is <laughs> so outside of school and crop like what else what else are you what else are you interested in what do you do for fun what's your hobbies do you have any yes so you were talking about like the five personality markers that they can look at or I think there were six and you named five of them I am very very extroverted yeah. so anything that my friends want to do I'm down to at least try it sweet I enjoy the outdoors I spend a lot of time outside spring summer fall winter doesn't really matter 
what I will do outdoors will change. Um, well, you're from Indiana, so the winters here aren't really probably that. The the winters, not. the winters here are not cold as right. a general rule. We so have a few good. exceptions, yeah. <laughs> and then because our first summer here, our first two summers here, were like record breaking hot summers. Yeah, I guess I just quickly adapted to both very hot and cold at least when it comes to texas mm. so i'm outside all the time hiking camping the number one sport that i enjoy playing is probably ultimate frisbee i love the strategy and the running of it without sport. the tackling of football yep. football's great um super bowl's actually coming up right now yep it's just as a potential psychologist who studies the brain, mm -hmm. that's a lot of head trauma and yep. a lot of concussions. Yep. And I'll pass. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of that in the TBI stuff in, in professional wrestling that gets very unnoticed because the NFL is a huge govern has a huge governing body. They have a lot of resources. They're doing a lot of stuff now. It's taken them a while, but they're finally now doing stuff to tackle concussions and TBI and mental health and getting people the resources that they need. There's not really that type of governing type body in professional wrestling. So sadly, like people just fall through the, the cracks and it's like really devastating. But anyways, not to get off track, but you were saying? Outdoors, um, anything outdoors. Beyond that, I used to coin collect. I've stopped since school started. What kind of coins? Quarters, pennies, oh, okay. nickels. Nickels are honestly boring. They, they haven't done much for nickels and dimes. Quarters, you've got state and national park quarters. So oh, there's I didn't a lot know there of national park quarters. Yeah, That's those sweet. just finished last year, I believe. I think they finished their last run of those last year. Where are you looking for coins like this? Do you just go to different shops or you just kind of randomly find them? So I collect coins or collected coins the same way that my grandfather did, which was take $25 uh -huh. and then buy a box of pennies. Just a box with rolls of pennies. Yeah. And then you go through, you pick out the ones that are valuable. Okay. And then you leave the ones that aren't, uh -huh. take them back to the bank and you repeat the process. So Whoa. it is significantly cheaper than going to a shop and paying $5 for a quarter. Granted, not all of these coins are in as good condition and technically none of them are uncirculated because what does that word mean so circulation a coin that's in circulation just means it's being used uh, it's no longer tucked away in a folder or a plastic case mm. the term circulation also applies to the condition of the coin so coins that are shinier have less dirt less scratches those kind of coins are more valuable than the ones that have been sitting in a pile of mud for mm. a week and then are found in the roll. Uh, okay, makes sense. So I used to collect coins like that and have a few stories from that. I found one time I exchanged for some rolls of pennies mm. and I got some where it was an entire roll, all of the same coin. It was like 1957 wheat head pennies. So this is an older design that they took out in 1958. And it was five rolls, different years, but all of the same coin in relatively the same condition. So I talked with my mom and realized that what had likely happened is there was an estate. Someone looked at the coins, either didn't know what they had or didn't care and didn't want to deal with the stress. And then just cashed in these coins that are 50 plus years old for their cash value. Yeah as opposed to trying to take it to a dealer. So I went straight back to that bank and have still to this day, two boxes full of pennies that are anywhere from 1958, which is when the Wheathead Penny um, design, that was its last year, all the way to, I think the oldest coin I have is a 1908 Indian Head Penny. So just some really old coins that I found in this estate. Typically don't find those in circulation. Collectors either use them or I've heard while it's 
not necessarily legal that some people will melt the copper coins down for the copper since the copper in the penny is sometimes more valuable than the penny itself. Do you plan on doing anything with any of the things that you've collected? Probably not. As So my, my grandpa passed away two years ago. We went through his coin collection. And while it was cool, and while it sold for a higher value than what the coin itself was worth, that was pretty much it. So I have an emotional attachment to some of these coins, but not to all of them. So I've actually been debating for a while, what do I do with these? Do I sell them at their current price, which obviously is going to be significantly lower than if I save them for 20 and 30 years, or do I hold on to them for that time? Yeah. Hmm. You're a young man. Do you plan on having kids in your lifetime? Is that something that's of value to you? That is not a yes or no question. I, I'm a 29 and I, same for me. Like I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I think if you were to go down that path, then showing your kid that would be cool. It would be. Because your grandpa did the same thing. Yes. You did the same thing. Maybe that's something that they're interested in. And who knows what could, what will be in circulation, you know, 30 years from now. Like what technology is available? Are we still even using coins? Like that's interesting to kind of think about also. It is. Hmm. So I would save them. That's my opinion. Main thing is space and they're copper coins. Yeah. Copper's heavy. Those boxes are, they're sitting in plastic boxes underneath my bed. Yeah. And they stay underneath my bed. I don't move them very <laughs> much because a box of, I remember, you know, Krav Maga for 11 years collecting coins. I think I started at 12, but I'm not 100% sure. I would walk into the bank and just think like, if someone decided to rob the bank, this box of pennies is actually a formidable weapon to just throw because the amount of weight in a full box of pennies yeah. is a significant weapon as much as any fist or sometimes even yes. yeah. actual <laughs> weapon. You just launch those things. Yeah. <laughs> launch them and then book them. Because looking back at 12-year-old, 13-year-old me, I would not want to take on a full-grown adult in a fight if could be avoided. Even now, like if it's a bank robbery and they just want money, I'm sorry to the, the bank owners, but if there's not lives in danger, I don't know that it makes sense to put my life in danger if it can be avoided. Right. That actually leads me perfectly. Well done. <laughs> well done to my final question. I think this is probably a question that you get asked often to like from maybe students and stuff, but I want to ask it now because I'm interested in it. So since Krav Maga is basically about the realist type of self-defense that you can do, very practical self-defense. Like, this is how you should absolutely defend yourself if things go wrong in a real altercation. And that's, I think, how a lot of, like, these movies portray fight scenes. And so now, being someone who's pretty much an expert in Krav Maga, do you watch movie fight scenes, whether that be, like, spy movies, Marvel movies, uh, Jason Bourne movies, differently, uh, with a different eye than you would previous? I mean... I wouldn't say pre previous would be like eight years old. Yeah. But you get my question. Un yeah, absolutely. So my brothers and I are all Marvel Star Wars nerds. And we do that with the fight scenes. The sequel trilogy came out, love it or hate it. Most people hate it. But we watched the lightsaber scenes and we were disappointed because my older brother, who is very handy with just whatever he decides to do, mm -hmm. decided to make us swords by taking a PVC pipe, dowel rod inside the PVC pipe, wrap it with pipe insulation and duct tape, and it's a sword that will bounce instead of break and it won't break another person. So we would use those and we would watch a Star Wars movie and then replicate the fight scenes yeah. or just take them and hit each other with right, them. Sure. And then we watched the sequel trilogy and we all just looked at each other like we we could have done a better job in those fight scenes. Yeah. So even without training, my brothers and I tend to do that. But then we watch movies, Jason Bourne, Jackie Chan, mm. trying to think of some others that I've seen recently. All of the Keanu Reeves, John Wick movies. Yep. We watch those and sometimes 
we look at that and say the choreographer did a good job, is it how I would have done it? No, but do I think it was realistic? Yes. And there are other times where we watch and we can tell either that the choreography was bad or that the stunt doubles in attempt to not actually hurt each other didn't look as real yeah. and therefore the fight scenes are less realistic yeah the uh because you mentioned i took class earlier today with you and you had a pen out and you mentioned the jason Bourne scene where he used the pen basically to just really mess some dude up he did <laughs> and uh i actually watched a video on youtube where someone breaks that video down for 10 minutes as to why that's legit and why that could happen if you're trained and you know how to use it. And so I thought that was like really cool because I would never have watched that video before starting Krav to be like, oh, this stuff is like real. Because I've always been interested in spy movies. James Bond is my favorite movie character of all time. And then Batman's number two. Nice. So I'm really, really excited for the new Batman movie. Just bought my tickets before this while I was eating before I came here. Anyways, uh, and so those are my two favorite movie characters of all time. So I, I've always been interested in this stuff and how it works and can real people do it? And now I figured out that anyone can do it. Yes. Anyone can train this stuff. You have to be very consistent and pretty disciplined. Like I force myself to come three times a week at the very, very least, which is not enough if I want to you know, actually uh, defend myself in a proper way in a real situation, but it's enough to learn and remember some of the moves and be at least consistent with the techniques. But that's what I, I think is important, that this is, can be for everyone in everyday situations so yeah but I was also going to say that the best fight scenes I've seen recently and I think we talked about this in class was Shang-Chi yes that movie was amazing because my roommate is a um, he loves Marvel we got Marvel all over my house and he watches every movie and he tells me about it and he's got the backstory and all this stuff and my girlfriend had never seen a Marvel movie ever in her life before we started dating so we've been we started at number one in the MCU and now we're we just watched Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and watching them all the way through with someone who's never seen them before is also an amazing experience. It is. I feel like I'm watching them for the first time. I didn't really yes. remember if I liked some of these solo movies before and I was like, oh, that's not as good as it was before. This one's even better than I thought it was. So that's been a pretty cool experience. But Shang-Chi was, was quite good. And I thought those were really well done. The Shang-Chi fight scenes. So neither of my brothers liked that movie as much. Less because of fight scenes or not. More because they felt it was a rehash of Black Panther mm. in a way. And while I disagree and agree, I also watched the fight scenes. Not only did I think they were realistic when you consider his training level, but I also appreciate Like the actor's training level? The actor's training level, but also the character. Oh, the character's the character in the in the movie. Because yeah. at this point it's been out long enough that I'm not too worried about spoilers. No, you're good. He trained from younger than when yeah. I started yeah. training, and he trained to kill. So when I watch even what they showed in the movie of his training, I don't doubt that what he did during the movie he was capable mm. of. As for a person today, having watched some breakdancing in Capoeira, which is basically breakdance fighting. Yeah. And watching some of the traditional martial arts, they do train that. I've never learned it and learned the defense for those specific moves, so I'm not going to speak to those specifically. One thing that I really appreciated is the final fight scene when he's fighting his father. He starts closed hand, and then he switches to open hand. And there's a meaning behind that in those traditional martial arts from what I've heard and I'm forgetting who told this fact to me but open hands is when you don't want to hurt someone you're focusing more on defending yourself mm. or keeping yourself or them away closed hand is you are intending to cause damage you are intending to kill he started closed hand and he lost he switched to open hand which is what both his mother and um, his his aunt used right. when they were fighting him or fighting his father and that's when he won and I thought that was 
one of the coolest things in that movie is you saw the switch as a martial artist from closed hand to open hand, from striking to more redirecting strikes. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all. Uh, so that's really cool. So you do have a good eye for it. When I pay attention, yes. Yeah. Cool. That's a good place to stop, I think. Do you have any final comments, questions, concerns, funny stories, anecdotes? I love that question so much because everything comes to mind all at once. <laughs> and at the same thing, nothing comes to mind. You know, one story, this can be an encouragement to you and to your listeners. So when I was first starting assisting classes, before I started teaching, I was assisting in the kids program, just helping the instructor, because especially in the little kids, but even in the older kids program, there's you can't always count on someone who's there, who's your size to attack. As an instructor, I don't have a student necessarily, unlike in the adult classes right. where there's usually a student who can hold the pad, right. who can demo the chokes with me. So those classes typically have an assistant. And when I first started assisting, the instructor who I was assisting for was difficult for me to work with. We were very different people um, in how we thought and how we felt things. And being an emotional person, this instructor was just difficult to work with from start to finish. And I wanted to quit assisting. And my mom told me, okay, you can, but, you know, similar to the start where it was six months, stick with it. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to quit, you can. She's like, if you want me to, if you want to quit, what we're going to do is we're going to set a calendar notification for three weeks from now. And if by the end of those three weeks, you still want to quit, then you can quit. But until then, until you, you've started that clock, for lack of a better term, and until that clock is run out, keep assisting. And I did um, put up with that instructor and some other instructors who are, who are difficult and who no longer teach here for one reason or another. Mm. And here I am teaching. It obviously worked. I, I not only didn't hit the three-week calendar notification, but I also never activated it. And I just kept pushing through, even though it was difficult. And this last training, this phase B certification for level two, I found really hard, not necessarily because the training itself was hard, but because I was working through some feelings and emotions in combination with the training that made it difficult. Yeah. And that's just an encouragement to you or to anyone else who's listening. If there's something that you know is beneficial that you're considering giving up, set a, a timer. Mine was three weeks. It doesn't have to be three weeks. That was a completely arbitrary time. Yeah. And then if that's still the case three weeks from then, then yes, maybe it is time for you to move something else. I don't pretend that Krav Maga is for everyone. I guess one person who's like, I want to compete. That's great. This is not for you. Right. We don't do competitions. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with competitions. I love watching them. And it's cool to be able to rate your skill against other practitioners of your same art. That's just not what our school specializes in. So understanding when something's not for you is important, but also understanding that sometimes something that is for you is ridiculously hard and you just have to push through. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you're just going to be in the trenches. Yes. And you just you know, kind of keep working your way through it slowly and slowly and slowly and there's the light at the end of the tunnel and then you're out of the trenches and you're into something beautiful and magical and that was beneficial for you all along. Yep. So I, I forget who said this. I want to say it was Kennedy, but I'm not sure. Um, as he was talking about, pretty sure this was his speech before we sent our rockets to space and to the moon. He said, we do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that is just a quote that I just remember in the back of my head as I do hard things that have value. Yeah. Obstacles make me stronger. They do. That's right. Well, thank you for, for doing this. You crushed it on Absolutely. your first ever podcast. Well done. Thank you. Well done. I think you should have your own eventually or now because you're not busy enough, right? Family, yeah. No, job, school, I'm, I'm not doing anything besides job, school, yeah. fa friends, family, campus ministry. Yeah. 
other hobbies. Yeah, all nothing this at all. Stuff. Yeah. But really, though, thank you. It means a lot to me that you joined. And for everyone that watched, thank you so much. Please share this with a friend. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. The best way to support the podcast is through Patreon. Other than that, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much and much love.